that when you are out and away from your spouse, it is your job and responsibility to never behave in a way in any way, shape, or form that would give anyone around you, or if your spouse were watching, just imagine if they were on a fly on the wall, any reason to doubt your love and fidelity to them. Like it's incumbent upon you once you've said those vows. And I think of it as like having blinders on. Like I don't even want to have wiggle room in my mind to even entertain a notion. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril here with my co-host, Pastor Elliot Anderson. And Love and Life is your place to hear conversations grounded in psych research, psychotherapy, and biblical truth to help us thrive in love and life. So Elliot, with a topic like cheating, there is obviously so much we could cover. So I think today we should start with a basic overview of some of the main themes and concepts related to infidelity. And I know you teach this in your human sexuality class, and you've referred to the work of Pittman and the authors of the text you use, Balswick and Balswick. So these are the sources we'll be using for today's conversation. But let's just kick things off with, like I said, an overview. And let's look at the four types of affairs that Pittman speaks to the four types of affairs that happen commonly in marriage, and then the three primary reasons that people have affairs. Yeah, just um, within the rhythms of the referral work that comes to me, certain patterns come. Never know why, um, what particular crises are there, particular marriage issues present themselves. But over the last three weeks, it's been marriage is going through infidelity or adultery, and various stages of we're done, then we're going to move towards divorce and want help with that. Others are, we want to make this work still. How do we do that? And others are in that quagmire in between where seemingly they're trying to make it work and yet inability to cut off the other woman or the other man or things of that nature make it pretty difficult to have any healing and restoration when that trust bond keeps getting eradicated or severed. So you said inability, so almost like an addiction to this the uh the side piece yeah because i mean inability is a strong word because like right away i'm going well or unwillingness but certainly if we talk about neurologically speaking there could be these dopamine hits that are happening with the side piece and it's on a on a physiological level it's become almost like an addiction to get that high of being with this person and i'm sure part of it with the cheating has to do with being secretive and clandestine and that makes the the arousal, physiological and emotional arousal of being together even more titillating and exciting. Yeah, it brings back an infatuation to the immorality of it, almost like you're 16 again and sneaking out of your house. So it brings very similar responses to your own brain, your own motivations, and your willingness to set aside your values and your convictions and your spouse and your kids and just seem like, I'm going to follow this desire and it's it's good and it's healthy and it's whole. It makes me feel something I haven't been feeling. Therefore, it must be right. And often the man or the woman tells me this kind of quote, but this person, this side piece, as you call it, this affair, this woman or man, they just get me better than my spouse. They they love me better. I feel more free. I feel more whole. And, and then we, of course, have to say, well, part of that is because it's outside of any responsibility. In fact, it's irresponsible. And therefore, it gives you a false sense of freedom. In fact, you are now getting more bound and more stuck and more woven into complexities that are never going to be the same. It just hurts my heart because I, I, 
And I, that's why I really admire what you do. And when I was a therapist, sometimes I would get, get caught overwhelmed. You know, those boundaries, when you are in the midst of someone in such deep pain, it's very hard sometimes to be able to be present and empathic without becoming overwhelmed yourself by just the sadness and the hurt and the pain and the, and the anger and helplessness, I think, of, of the spouse now who's being cheated on and just that desperation for, why don't you love me? Why aren't you faithful to me? What is this other person doing for you that I can't? How did we lose our way? I, no one walks down the aisle. I mean, a couple people probably who already are cheating on someone when they on their wedding mm-hmm. day. That does happen. But most people walk down the aisle and they say those vows and they mean them. And they never expect this to enter their marriage. Yeah, and that's one, uh, if we're going to shift a little bit to what creates affairs, in my opinion, it's often the first stage of allowing that to be a thought in your head. Like, oh, I'm a little bored here. I'm a little restless. I'm a little angry. We can talk later about research and how I teach some of these things, these principles. But that that mental piece where you start to say, hmm, maybe, Rather than, oh, I'm so committed to my vows, so committed with this covenantal relationship and can't imagine any other woman or any other man in my life. And the moment you start to think, well, if the right opportunity or if that person, Ralph, they, they showed interest, I might be willing. Right? Any of that you start doing mentally in your head. And scripturally, they call that like giving birth to the idea of sin um, mm-hmm. in your head, in your heart will lead to the behaviors following. Well, this gets into our realm quite a bit when we talk about cognitive strategies. And we talk about that typically for thriving in love and life and to try to help yourself get happy, as dad would tell us. But also, I'm thinking of the cognitive discipline. that, and, and the way I think about it as a married woman, I consider myself, and I heard this, I think, probably on Dr. Laura, which is actually a really great program for people <laughs> to really get that moral compass if they're feeling like they've lost it. But She says that when you are out and away from your spouse, it is your job and responsibility to never behave in a way, in any way, shape, or form that would give anyone around you, or if your spouse were watching, just imagine if they were on a fly on the wall, any reason to doubt your love and fidelity to them. Like it's incumbent upon you once you've said those vows. And I think of it as like having blinders on. Like I don't even want to have wiggle room in my mind to even entertain a notion but you're saying that that lack of discipline, when someone just lets that little like that little crack into that, well, I guess that's a possibility, or maybe starts justifying things, right? Like, well, she's so busy with the kids, or you know, I I I never had the chance. Maybe they got married young. I never had the chance to really sow my wild oats. So I don't want to hurt her really. So whatever she whatever I do when she's not around, she won't know. And of course, now we have it. It's not just an actual affair with someone getting a hotel room like in the day. I mean, that happens, of course, but it could also be just, well, I'll just screw around with some random person on an app and screw around whatever to, you know, sexting or or whatever that might be or or pornography on it. I I mean, as a wife, I find I would think that pornography, if my husband's doing that when I don't know about it, that's that's cheating in my mind. Yeah. And the secrecy of all those communications you're talking about, it's what roots it deeper than than just the thought. So if you're conversing with old high school flames on Facebook and it's not overtly sexual or adulterous in its nature yet, but it's the kind of thing that you're intentionally keeping secret from your spouse, side conversations, side texting, any of that stuff that is not free and in the light and 
here, honey, take a look at my phone and do whatever you want. Not like check for cheating, but just the freedom to feel like you're not nervous if your spouse has your phone because there's nothing to hide. There, there's no issues. Or if she happens there, he happens to be on your email. So that whole secrecy piece on top of the willingness piece in your, your brain, your thinking, and those fantasies, if you're constantly not taking your thoughts captive, as scripture says, and you're thinking mm. about the what ifs, or I'm so frustrated with my spouse about this, that if someone ever treated me this way, I would really be interested. And then all of a sudden that person appears, and then all of a sudden it hits your heart. And those mm-hmm. yearnings and those longings allow those to move. It'll happen. It's not that uncommon. Frank Pittman, one of my favorite authors on manhood, talks about the four types of affairs. I just want to get those out for us to talk through a little bit. First one is accidental. An accidental affair is no planned advanced planning. Natural boundaries, though, were not in place. Mm-hmm. So the spontaneity, the, the strange affair that happens, one of the last phone calls I received just today was a business trip scenario where the guy didn't advance the planning. He's on a business trip away from his wife and kids. And oh, all of a sudden this sexual relationship was available and boom, he went for it. So you would say, well, he didn't plan that. Well, he didn't as far as like calling ahead or anything. He didn't know the woman prior to the weekend, but he planned it in his head. He planned the opportunity, he planned the, the thought that maybe that'd be fun. Maybe that'd be worth it. Even though now his wife and children are devastated. So that's the accidental one, which is not a high percentage. The accidental affairs are, are pretty low. Second is the philandering, someone practice of seeking out new partners, the whole game. Mm-hmm. And I'm working with one couple in that realm right now as well, where the man at this point is claiming it's not physiological, no sexual affairs, but it's constant game playing on websites and getting women to connect with him and affirm him and then planning to meet to start that process, even though those don't always, to what we know at least, they don't happen. The whole process still, when you have a committed relationship and you're constantly philandering, you're out there trying to be on the hunt and win the approval and affirmation of someone from uh, the other gender you're interested in, and is the same thing as the physiological cheating, even though the cheating's claiming not to take place. I, sorry, I just laughed because I caught a glance of myself in the video and my face was just so irritated. I'm just thinking, Elliot, who has time for all this? <laughs> like, yes. I mean, it's an enormous amount of time. Well, and if you're talking about for men in particular, idle time and being out of work or being out of their masculine sense of security and affirmation definitely is a precondition that can lead to stupid behavior, escapism, and potentially affairs. Mm. The third one is the romantic that develops over time and in them see the environmental opportunities. Those are the work affairs more often than not, you know, and people even say stuff like, well, this is my work wife or my work husband. I'm like, don't say that. Do not (laughs) say that. that. Even in your head, don't think that because you're already creating the same type of intimacy bond. Everyone knows what you mean by that. And it's professional, but professional often leads into personal. Mm -hmm. And so that romantic thing normally is one that one or the other person will start to recognize it's happening. And I've worked with many, many men and women who end up righteously and intelligently leaving that place of employment because they've developed such a strong attachment to somebody before it develops into something more significant. It's like the moment that attachment gets strong and you feel it and you're starting to think about them more and all those things, then you know you got a decision to make. The attraction's there. Uh, Declaring that attraction normally does not help. Yeah, going to that person saying, hey, by the way, 
I just need to put up better boundaries at work because I'm finding myself super attracted to you. I think about you all the time. I'm dreaming about you. Well, now you just fueled it. You just poured gasoline on it. Even if the person's upset and bothered by it, now it's going to be in their head. So once that romantic, if you know you're developing that, you got to you gotta change. You got to move the environment. And I'm sorry if it's a great job and I'm sorry if it pays well and you have changed. Do you want to save your current marriage or not? Well, and again, think about all that time. Many people spend more time at work than they do with their spouse. Of course, a majority do. Right? I mean, how many hours in a day? Even though now we have a lot of people working from home, it's different, but... Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but in general, yeah, much more time. When you're talking, there's such a push right now for this authenticity, which, yeah, I mean, I get it. And I used to think a lot about authenticity when I called off my engagement because I realized I hadn't been authentic to myself and therefore was lying to myself and to my ex-fiance unwittingly lying, but doing so nonetheless. So I'm, I'm a fan of authenticity, but I could see someone being like, well, I just needed to get it out there and, and be honest with this person. So thinking they were doing a good thing, actually, let's just clear the air, get it out there. And yet, like you said, it's going to fan the flame that is going to lead them closer, many steps closer to an affair. Yeah. And if the two people haven't talked about it already, now you've put that in the other person's heart and head and it's going to mess with them one way or the other. Right. I don't want to hear some client tell me, oh, I find you so attractive. I think about you so much between sessions and I've had fantasies about you. And I said, well, then we're going to terminate because <laughs> that's going to be about the right. end of that. If that hasn't happened, right. but I'm saying, I don't want to hear that. That's not, it's going to completely right. alter everything. And you know, there's transference and sometimes people are going to have yes. an attraction bond to their therapist. And so I totally understand that, but declaring it and presenting it. And most of the time, if that's done, you're testing the other person to see if they are going to reciprocate. So right. you're using that as much as a, a tool of potential fulfillment as you are, I just need to be authentic. Now, I do mm -hmm. hear that authentic argument with many men in particular who are stepping out on their wife and their kids and saying like, well, I can't be true, my true self with my, my wife. We have so much mm -hmm. history, so much pain, and I find myself being more authentically me with this new, new lady. And I understand the concept of that, but the reality is you already have the commitment mm -hmm. to authenticity with somebody else. And if it's broken or disabled or not working well, then go back and get that authenticity cleared up, get it cohesive. And then if you both decide at that point, you're still going to get a divorce, but it's not done in a cheating way. It's done in an amicable decision you make, though, of course, I don't want that. Let's be upfront about it. Let's be independent differentiated people and make an interdependent decision about what our relationship is going to do or not do. Sometimes the cheating option, the infidelity is simply breaking apart the marriage you're afraid to talk about. I will do the, the deed that I know will destroy it mm -hmm. and kind of force my way out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just like walking in your boss's office and say, you suck as a boss. I'd be a better boss. Give me your job. That's going to pretty much get you fired, and you know it. Mm -hmm. What person walks mm -hmm. into the office of a boss and thinks that? So right. by any means, you've been married to someone for 10, 8, 10, 12 years or whatever, and you go sleep with their best friend or an ex-flame, and you think it's going to be fine? Right? So again, there's a, there's a certain level of our conscious decision. Mm -hmm. That's why this idea that it just happened. No, it didn't. It didn't mm -hmm. just happen. If you're interested in processing further as you align your mind, body, and spirit, we're here for you. Head over to loveandlifemedia.com and click on the Work With Us tab. There you can book individual or couples sessions. Or sign up for one of our support groups. Purchase one session or a multiple session package. 
We'd love to work with you. Sign up at loveandlifemedia.com. Go to the final one because then I think we, you kind of are naturally segueing us to the why people cheat. So you mentioned one, and, it's just, and as a teaser, we'll finish this up, this four types of affairs, and then we'll get to, but as a teaser, sometimes it is an exit strategy. Yeah. So Pittman talks about the last one. Pittman says there's arrangements where the couple agrees to mutual partners. I think I haven't worked with a ton of this in my career, maybe three or four times where couples mutually agree to do threesomes or foursomes or marital swaps and it's absolute destruction. Never works like it does in the movies or the shows. Works just like this wonderful explorative time and then it's over and no big deal. That's just absolute nightmare. And it's usually very sexual driven, sexually driven. And for the younger culture that we work with here at Judson, the students, it's the whole hookup thing way more than it is this mutual partner agreement type of stuff from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. It's all about, well, it's just sex. You and I did an episode about that once about mm-hmm. there is no such thing as just sex. And it's, right. uh, just the hookup is, there is no thing as just a hookup. The physiological, mm-hmm. emotional, spiritual, mental, all of it is completely uh, comprehensively involved. So you think it's just this, eh, just like I'm going to Jewel to get some groceries, and it's not. No. So those are Pittman's four, the accidental, the philandering, the romantic, and the re- arrangements. And the ones I tend to work with the most or see the most in crisis are philandering and romantic. Okay. And those philanderers, Karen, a majority of them have comorbidity of other addictions or other significant compulsive mm-hmm. behaviors, gambling, pornography, mm-hmm. um, alcohol. And it seems like this mm-hmm. is another form, another outlet of that compulsivity. Like I can't stop myself from putting my profile out there, even though I'm happily married in theory. Well, that links into, I was looking at some research, the LA Intelligence Detective Agency, oh, which they might have cool. some interesting stats because people do hire private detectives to find out if their spouse is cheating. And a quote here is, statistics show that 56% of men and 34% of women who commit infidelity rate their marriages as happy or very happy. Mm-hmm. This makes the reason people cheat a little harder to dissect and comprehend. So to your point, in some cases, those philanderers may be just chronically having addictive ways of coping. I'm not even going to say it's an addictive personality right. because we don't even know that that's a thing, but they have gotten into a space where they handle maybe unwanted emotions or trauma from the past, and they just go into addictive behaviors to kind of zone out. Yeah, for sure. And the language that that article used that you read there, I would question happiness as far as like real contentment. Mm-hmm. But I would call it functional peace. Like they operate as roommates, as a marital couple, fine. And they handle, I work with tons of couples that handle their children pretty well. They're pretty good parents together. They can function well in their teamwork. Mm-hmm. But as far as real intimate, emotional, mental, spiritual, sexual connection, soul to soul, like I'm just, I hate the word like use in love, but I'm just so passionately connected to my spouse that. I just really enjoy them as a person, even in their differences, even in their their uniqueness and their strangeness that might be so different than my temperament or whatever. You can't get there with functionality. So functionality and good processing as a couple and as a family can often lead to boredom. Mm, mm-hmm. And and this feeling like, is this it? I mean, it's fine. We have a good time when we go out to eat, Portillo's and 
do stuff as a family and go to the games with the kids and all that. But it's just like, I could do this with anybody. Mm-hmm. That, that lack of passion, commitment, and spiritual intimacy, emotional intimacy. So that, that's I just wanted to give a semantic maybe about happiness being more about function, peace. What makes a happy marriage? We could do an entire episode on that. What does happy mean? I mean, it's probably a little bit different for different people. Some people probably having that partner to do life with and those functional roles would be enough. Other people, I mean, I, I will never say enough though. I don't even believe that. Yeah, I agree. I, I take it back. Because I don't, otherwise you just marry your best friend. Yeah. And so many people who are afraid of any conflict at all, afraid of any disappointment at all, afraid of their partner's reactions to anything that wouldn't be peaceful, mm-hmm. they will choose, to your point a little bit, they will choose that functionality and feel that's enough, even mm-hmm. though they're okay. deeply missing something also. Yeah. I just always go back to what are we looking for? I mean, we're looking for, we know that functional, that day-to-day, pragmatic mm-hmm elements of life, that's important to share the similar way of doing life. Absolutely. But you also have to have the zazazoo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got to have that little, that fire in your belly. And of course, when you got three, four kids in diapers, mm-hmm. did you know anything about that? Yeah, right. <laughs> four kids under the age of two, <laughs> there's going to be moments where you're going to be in your parent mode. And for that season, that's going to have to mean when you've got infants, you're going to have to look to that. And, and make sure that's a priority. But at the same time, you have to continue. And that's what we talk about in family systems all the time. The, the marital subsystem has to be the priority. No matter how many little rugrats you have running around, you will be a better parent if you are first a better husband. Yeah, and I think the crisis time, the first likely crisis time for an affair is when you have small children. So it doesn't tend to happen in the early stages before Children, although if you're a philanderer or an addictive person to sex, lust, porn, or something, that's much more likely. But I think that first season for both the husband and the wife with those small kids, functionality gets stretched and pressed and intensified, and the intentionality needed to keep the romance piece going and to keep the separateness and differentiation going, it's often into the extreme form. And Couples will say things to me all the time, like, we haven't gone on a date in two and a half years. Right. And I'm like, well, you better go this week then. <laughs> right. Find babysitters. And I, and I often will say, bring it to our house. Bring it to me and my wife. We will help in this initial stage. You have got to get. But a lot of mothers struggle with that, not just with us. I mean, just in general to hand their kids off to anybody. And again, <laughs> there comes the priority and the primary. My children come first. Well, then that husband is coming second. He feels that he knows it. And it's not a good place for either of you to be. I'm not blaming young mothers. It certainly goes both ways, but that's just one of those times and seasons where the young kids really pushes the marital boundary. How important is it for us to stay heart to heart, soul to soul? Yeah. And it does when those roles get all wrapped up and women, I do see this where a lot of times they start putting their kids above their, their husband and they think they're being Pretty noble. Mm-hmm. Like, if you feel pretty good about it. Like, that's what I'm supposed to do as a mom. That, yeah. that makes me a better mom than other people who put their marriage first. I'm like, ooh. Yeah, and it also mom, will show so. your kids they're more important, and they will start to mm-hmm. intentionally sabotage and divide, even if it's all subconscious or mm-hmm. unconscious, that they know they can get mom's attention or get dad's attention over the attention mm-hmm. to you know Freud's some of Freud's theories, even though they were formed out of cocaine and sex addiction. 
he has some pretty interesting systemic ideas about parental, even though he over-sexualizes them, the parental movements between parents and children and how the children can interfere with the marriage. And when we have that hierarchy out of place, the little child will manipulate, as you said, Mm -hmm. likely, without knowing why. But also on on a subconscious level, that child will feel a great deal of anxiety mm-hmm. because the child has too much power in that home. And so now we have this this rampant numbers of kids who have anxiety. And I'm wondering right away, what's the family system look yeah. like? Why does this child have so much power? Because when the child has that much power, the child is not going to be able to handle that much power, obviously. And that's going to manifest in anxiety. For sure. And likely acting out behaviors. Right. We'd love to connect with you further via our weekly newsletter. Joining the Love & Life family gets you first access to bonus content and flash sale pricing for books and consultations. And when you sign up, you'll receive Karen's Empowered Dating Playbook or my Empowered Marriage Playbook. Head over to loveandlifemedia.com to join the Love & Life family. So I want to give a, the three primary reasons for affairs. The book I teach of, I teach human sexuality here at Judson, and the book I work from at least the one the last couple of years, and I'm going to stick with it this spring, is Authentic Human Sexuality by Jack and Judith Balswick, B-A-L-S-W-I-C-K, Balswick. And they give a really good chapter on infidelity and being unfaithful. And they said there's three primary reasons for the affairs. And I think you and I in our systemic minds and what we were taught in our clinical training would agree with these 100%. So the first one's unequal power. Mm. And that unequal partner, that unequal power is often the opposite of what people would expect. It's the partner with more power who tends to have the affair, not the one with less. The one who starts to feel like he's almost, he or she is above the scenario. I would expect that though. I think it'd be someone saying, well, it's it's the partner who's ignored and denied and marginalized and diminished that's going to go get some love. So you're saying the one that was feeling less power and then maybe feeling neglected would go out right. to get, yeah. Right. So sure. it's, it's off, the research supports the opposite side of that. You know, and we, you and I talked about this too from Professor Shea's lectures, the whole idea of the least interest. Yeah. Right. And so the least interest with the most power tends to move in that direction. Mm-hmm. In this marital seminar I'm leading November, Saturday, November 18th from one to four at my home church here in Elgin, Illinois. The second session, the first session is about critical communication, and that's not just processing issues, although we'll cover a little bit of that. It's more about how do you get beyond like layer one, two, and three of functionality and intimacy and get into real depth communication. Like, I need this. I feel this way. This is how I'm responding. Rather than the couples, and I was sitting with one again this morning. It's been a long day of sessions already. I've had four. <laughs> There's a guy talking about just like, I'm afraid to talk to her. They got like 25 years together. I'm, I'm wow. afraid to bring these things up. He's a very successful man. This is not an intimidated, quiet, you know, as they would call it, like a wallflower, right? This is not that kind of guy at all. High, high intelligence, tech, wealthy, successful, good looking man. And he was talking about being afraid to talk to his wife about his heart and soul and his real needs based on her responses. Mm. So what would you and I say about who holds more power in that relationship? It's her. Even if he's giving it to her. Might not be that she's demanding it. Right. Right. He just might be willingly right. giving it to her and therefore 
afraid actually of her reactions to just share his heart. He's not wanting to share cruelty or criticism of some harsh level, just wanting to be open. So that unequal power thing really starts to shade and change all elements of our communication and movements. And so really getting into what I call INC, I-N-C, instant need clarification, getting those needs out of your subconscious, into your conscious, then into your present and communicate them. Not in a needy way like, well, I just need you to stay home, even if the person's got to go to work and they got to go present something at court that day and there's no way they can skip. That's not the kind of need manipulation I'm talking about. It's just sitting down in a serious scenario and go, we're just not having enough time together. I really need us to dedicate some time. Let's get our date nights on the schedule and get them in the calendar and let's both commit to them. That's the kind of need clarification I'm talking about. Hey, Love & Life listeners, we have an exciting event for you this fall at Solid Rock Church in Elgin, Illinois, where I am the senior pastor. An authentic holy marriage is what God calls us to, and yet few couples testify to that experience. In this day of marital strife, separation, and divorce, how do we communicate and negotiate all the dynamics of love, life, career, children, community, and church within a culture that wreaks havoc on the marital bond? I've been a marriage counselor for 30 years and worked with hundreds of couples in all phases and stages of marriage and specialize in crisis marriage recovery, restoration, and healing. May God bless this opportunity to inspire your marriage as a representation of Christ's love for the church. So whether you're just dating, engaged, or married, please consider joining us on Saturday, November 18th from 1 to 4 o'clock for Soul to Soul, an authentic and holy marriage seminar. Go to loveandlifemedia.com for more information. Karen and I look forward to seeing you at that event. The second primary reason for affairs from Balswick and Balswick is situational factors. And I summarized it for my teaching. I summarized, you know, multiple paragraphs in one little phrase here. Opportunities present themselves without the safeguards. So that goes to the the thought processes you and I talked about. Mm-hmm. Starting to view our spouse as not our lifelong partner, like we just gave the vows at the wedding seven years ago. But now it's just like, eh, maybe I could reconsider. Maybe mm-hmm. there might be something a little better out there for me, right? And as soon as you start watering that down, same thing's true at work. As soon as you start saying to yourself, well, I don't really think I'm fulfilled at this work anymore. You might as well turn your resignation in because if you don't turn that thought process around, you're going to be miserable. So mm-hmm. it's that whole cognitive movement. I'm not saying it's not appropriate occasionally at work to say, I'm not being treated right here, this is wrong, et cetera. But I think in marriage, it's a much different relational dynamic to just start checking out mentally, which will then provide opportunities where those safeguards are no longer there because the safeguards start in the head first. And sometimes the feelings are right behind it, you know, get caught in the feels. And all of a sudden mm-hmm. you're like, wow, this just feels so emotionally wonderful. When at home, all I do is change diapers and I never even see my wife showered. She's always in her mama care, you know, whatever. And just, mm-hmm. we start just allowing these things to mean more than they ought to and get stuck then in that situational factor. Or like I said earlier, getting really attracted to somebody in a, an environment where you know this is not healthy or wise and not stopping yourself, not blocking it, not creating the boundaries you need, the safeguards, not sharing, talking with others about it. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes if you're having those feelings or getting those attractions, you got to talk to somebody. Don't leave it isolated and think you're just going to make great decisions on your own. Um, talk to some trusted people, acknowledge it with a therapist, whatever, and get some, get some counsel about what you know is not going to end well. That's one of the interesting things to, about affairs for me. They never end well. 
They can be the best sex you've ever had in your life times 50. They're never going to end well. And lots of people might be listening to us right now. Well, that's not true. I married, I married my affair. Well, you left a former spouse in the wake. Is that ending well to you? That the person you said you were going to love forever is devastated and has a hole in their heart and soul and your kids are living without you at home now and all those things? Are that, is that all worth it? That this affair found your true love. Well, what about the true love of your children? What about your role in their life, right? So that's why I'm saying that there is no fairy tale affair story that ends wonderfully and everything's peaceful and joyful. It just doesn't happen. What do you say to the person who says, well, I realized I married the wrong person and yeah, I married the wrong person. I said vows to the wrong person. I made babies with the wrong person. And here I am 40 years old and I can't live the rest of my life in a lie, essentially. Yeah, I'd say the wrong, the, I'd say the wrong person is you not the wrong person you married and had babies with willingly, right? So let's work on yourself. Let's get yourself figured out. And yes, if there's reality of certain temperament, personality issues that have now magnified, and again, we are not holding abuse situations in the same light here. I want to make sure our listeners know that. Sometimes an abuse factor is to get the heck out of that marriage as fast as you can and get healthy, safe, and clean. So I'm not talking about you're getting beaten. Uh, I'm not talking about those kind of scenarios, just so our listeners don't think we're crazy. But this, I married the wrong person scenario, or what a ton of spouses tell me, I probably have three guys saying this line to me regularly right now. We'd have never been married if we didn't get married when we did. Okay, so what? I'd have never gone to the same high school if I didn't go to the high school I did. I mean, what kind of statement is that? That's part of life, and that's where it was. And Angie and I could say the same thing, that I was going through a little depression, re-identity in Christ period of my life when I met her. And so rather than looking at that and go, wow, I would have never married her and never gone through some of those hard years we did if I wouldn't have been right then. I said, no, I look at the opposite way. Thank the Lord. That's the exact season I was in at that time to meet her and not be so overwhelmingly hyper and crazy that she could build some attachments to me. And then we worked together then on that re-identification of self and as a couple. So that kind of like living in the past mindset and trying to evaluate something 20, 25, 30 years ago and just say that if I knew then what I knew now, I wouldn't have done that. It, it, it's nonsensical to me. It, it doesn't hold weight. The third primary reason for affairs from Balswick and Balswick is my favorite. And that sounds weird to say you have a favorite reason for an affair, but it's the lack of differentiation, which the easy summary of that is you're either overly dependent or codependent, or you're overly independent and afraid of any intimacy at all. And I'm going to read the chapter out of the book because it really fleshes it out better. So they say, differentiation is described as the human process of integrating the needs for connection and self-regulation in the marital relationship. Key aspects of differentiation are, number one, the ability to maintain a clear sense of self in close proximity to one's spouse. So we're not merged together, co-joined twins. With the ability to maintain a clear sense of self. Number two, the ability to soothe personal fears and anxieties from within yourself. Not to have your spouse have to be the one to constantly soothe or make you feel strong, beautiful, handsome, valuable, worthy. Number three, the ability to be non-reactive to the anxiety of your spouse. So that you're not letting your spouse's behavior and communication emotions completely dictate how you feel, how you think, how you believe. And that is hard to do. 
And then number four, the ability to tolerate the natural struggle and discomfort of marital discord in order to grow as an individual and as a couple. So I had a wife who is divorced now, and regretfully, she didn't want to be. And these differentiation factors are extremely important in that process. And even in the post-divorce stage, she needed to challenge her ex in a certain way about something to do with the children, and it created some consternation and some frustration and some difficult critical conversation back and forth. And when she reported that to me, I was so excited and so happy. And it it just helped her reframe in her mind because that's what she's been trying to avoid all these years, which blocked them from true layered intimacy that kept them stuck in this functional task-oriented comfortability without ever be having those true needs and that true desire and that true wants out on the table. And so that was a lack of differentiation And now that she's in a state where they're not married, she's getting stronger at bringing these things forward. And the relationship, even if it stays divorced, is going to heal from those, even though it's going to bring about more arguments and more frustration. I think we could do an entire episode on that. For sure. But I love those differentiation. Mm -hmm. And I think you and I both know in our own romantic thoughts, maybe when we were younger and then with lots of friends and family that we know, or young people that we worked with in both of our college careers that a lot of couples romantically think there's a fusion of the two souls that becomes stronger when we lose our identity in each other. And that's just not true. It's the opposite. We must maintain our identity and our ability to self-regulate and not over-respond to our spouse, even when there's things worthy of responding to. Well, and then we're told the two become one. So that can throw people off too, like from a biblical standpoint. Yeah, and the oneness, we've talked about that on previous episodes, what oneness means in the Hebrew culture and what that meant is really important. Right, but yeah, I think it would would be behoove us to kind of unpack that, how you have the oneness, but then also the differentiation. All right, Karen, well, we wrap up this uh, episode one about cheating and we want to do some more in that direction offer some more insight, thoughts, tips. What do we do, right? What do we do if we know our partner is cheating? How do do we work towards healing that or bringing that forward? Those will be all really important. And uh, let me close us in prayer from this first one. Lord, we know that in your word, um, being covenantal in a marriage relationship and a partner committed relationship is vitally important in honoring you and honoring each other and building the commitment, the security, the intimacy, the trust, the faith that is so necessary in an interdependent relationship of man and woman together. So I just pray, Lord, that those who've been hurt by infidelity or adultery can heal. And as we bring them further understanding insight in this process, both before and after affairs, they could be blessed and encouraged through that. For those who are in the midst of it right now, Lord, give them comfort and peace when it seems it's nowhere possible. And for those who are thinking about it, Lord, or have just begun the process of cheating on their spouse, may they really quickly reconsider and recognize uh, the detrimental behaviors that are going to take place and the permanent consequences and severity of those severances that will take place in their own mind, heart, and soul, in the relationships with their existing spouse and children, even extended family and parents and grandparents. Um, It's just not going to end well. 
So we pray, Lord, for their wisdom and discernment, clarification on their values, their choices, their commitments. So we uh, thank you in advance, Lord, for your good work and pray a blessing on those who are listening and receiving your words. Amen. Well, once again, Love and Life listening audience, we are so glad you joined us for this episode about a very difficult topic. And so our hearts are even stirred as we have finished up and wrapped up this first one. We thank you for being with us. We thank you for following us. And as a reminder, the marital seminar I'm leading is Saturday, November 18th from 1 o'clock to 4 o'clock at Solid Rock Church in Elgin, Illinois. Our website is solidrock.faith. And you can go to the events tab and register. The flyer has also been on our recent communication for Love and Life, and you can scan the QR code and register through there as well. And until next time, make make it it a a great week. week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abril.